Uh, we are in our series uh, on, uh, it's called The Upper Room, Living the Upstairs Life of My Downstairs World. And uh, last week, I, uh, I mentioned that we'd have some resources available for us. And last week, I, I mentioned at Pursuits, we have this book called Forgotten God, written by Francis Chan. Uh, and it, the, the subtitle to the book is Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. Um, if you're wanting to learn about who the Holy Spirit is, and uh, get into a little bit of a practical theology of relating to the Spirit. Uh, Francis' book is a, is a good primer, primer, however you say that, on that. Um, and then the, the book um, um, we have this week uh, that's uh, at Pursuits is by R.A. Torrey. Torrey uh, was a very conservative theologian. He started the, uh, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, which if you follow those letters, uh, became Biola University. Uh, Tory, he ministered late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, and his book is called The Baptism with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be talking about that today. It's a, it's a short little read. It's, I think we, we have pursuits for five bucks. It's a quick read. Um, sorry, no pictures in it. And, uh, but it, you'll, you'll, you'll love it because he just is very clear on what we mean by the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Um, and the, the language could feel a little bit older um, and it, it'd take a little bit more to, to process how he's saying things, but I, I really think that you'll en enjoy that. You can get that at Pursuits, or you can get that anywhere else. It's it's available in print or on your on, on your Kindle. So I just we're just saying those not because we're all that interested in trying to sell books here. We just want you to be resourced uh, as we're talking about the things that we're talking about. That uh, there's some if you want to learn more, that would be a couple ways um, that you could learn more on this particular topic. I just want to remind us where we were last week, catch us back up to speed. Last week, we talked about the three callings, uh, and we'll put them up here on the screen, the specific calling, common calling, and highest calling. Specific calling relating to vocation or, or our jobs, and let me just say here that uh, for those who are retired, there's still a specific calling on your life. That uh, when, when you finish whatever it is that you're, you're doing as your job, what you get paid for, God has gifted you. He has made deposits of talents and passions uh, in your life. And you, you still have a specific calling even when you don't get paid uh, for it. And so uh, I just want to be clear on that, that the specific calling is something we have our entire lives. Common calling, this is, this is the calling that's on all Christ followers in every time and every place. And it's, it's, a, it's a commonality to the kind of life that we live. It, it is, is made clear through the pages of Scripture. It is the Scripture that reveals to us what our common calling is. Do not steal. Do not murder. Love one another. Encourage one another. That, that, that is our common calling. Uh, so it, it transcends culture. It transcends time and place. The highest calling. This is where we relate to God. This is where we are in friendship with God. This is where we commune and we are abiding. This is where relationship happens. And just as a reminder, on the, on the right-hand side of the screen here, I put up the, the different ways that these callings are primarily lived out. The specific calling is revealed by the, by the Holy Spirit, whether you, you, you know it or not, knowingly or unknowingly. It's the Spirit who leads us to live out our specific calling. A common calling, again, is revealed by Scripture, and the Spirit wrote Scripture. Uh, all scriptures God breathed, 2 Timothy 3.16. Highest calling is through, uh, through life in the spirit. And last week you heard me say that as the evangelical church, the big C church, that when it comes to the highest calling, we have a, a very solid, rich tradition of a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. 
But what we, what we seem to lack is a practical theology of the Spirit. We know about the Spirit, but we don't know how to be in friendship with the Spirit or what it means to hear Him speak or be guided into truth or to receive His comfort. Practically, uh, this is an area of struggle for many people. In fact, uh, I'll just put a, a quote by A.W. Tozer up here on the screen. Um, it talks about this very, very thing. Tozer, 8 o'clock, you know who Tozer is, okay? I know you know who Tozer is. Um, but I'm explaining, trying to explain to you who A.W. Tozer is. Part of our movement of the Christian Missionary Alliance, a pastor a, called a, a modern-day prophet. Tozer in the 1950s said this, A doctrine has practical value only as far as it is prominent in our thoughts and makes a difference in our lives. By this test... The doctrine of the Holy Spirit, as held by evangelical Christians today, has almost no practical value at all. In most Christian churches, the Spirit is quite entirely overlooked. Whether he is present or absent makes no real difference to anyone. Brief reference is made to him in the doxology and the benediction. Further than that, he might well as not exist so completely do we ignore him that it is only by courtesy that we can be called Trinitarian. So Tozer, over 50 years ago, talking about this lack of practical theology of the Spirit and this, this idea that, that uh, as Tozer wrote in his day, that the Holy Spirit is only referenced in the benediction and the doxology. And I don't have to explain the doxology to this crowd uh, at 8 o'clock. I, I have memories uh, I have memories every time we took the offering. We sang the doxology afterwards. Praise God to whom all blessings flow. That was just a natural response. Uh, and what Tozer was saying in his day, it was then in the doxology and in the benediction. It's the only time you heard of the Spirit. And I would say that not much has changed in over 50 years. That when it comes to a practical living out of, of life in the Spirit, we, we feel ill-equipped um, in fact, we can even be suspicious of what do we mean about living out the highest calling? What are we saying about being in relationship with, with the Holy Spirit? And I invited us last week to take all our baggage and stereotypes that we bring with us as we talk about the Holy Spirit and put them down. And let's let the scriptures teach us. Let, we believe in the authority of the scriptures. So we're going to come under the scriptures even today. And we're going to come under the scriptures and allow the scriptures to teach us about the highest calling. Um, and, and even as I say that, I want you to know that the spirit-filled life is, is something that the, the enemy of our church, the enemy of our souls, will do everything, will fight tooth and nail to keep us from enjoying the gift of the spirit as intended by Almighty God. Another Tozer quote. I'm going to warn you this morning. You have a lot of quotes. Satan has opposed the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any doctrine there is. He has confused it, opposed it, and surrounded it with false notions and fears. The spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. I remember just out of college when I went to go buy my first car, I, I, bought a, I bought a small pickup truck, and I went to the auto lot, and I noticed that some of the pickups had a bumper on the back, others did not. You, you paid more 
the, if you had a bumper, it was sort of deluxe version of a, of a truck. I don't know, I kind of thought it came with all trucks. But in those days, you had to pay extra for your bumper, and it makes sense, and there's extras you, you, you purchase to have on cars. The bumper thing confused me. I, I think oftentimes what I, when we, we think about the Christian life, sometimes we can make the mistake that the spirit-filled life is this deluxe version, this, this thing you can add on to what it means to be a Christ follower. And I just want you to know that, that Tozer is, is, has just nailed this on the head when he says that the spirit-filled life, the filling of the spirit, the baptism of the spirit is part and parcel. It is the total plan of God for those who follow him. So as we get into a practical theology of, of living life in the spirit, I just want you to know that we're not talking about add-ons. We're talking about this is the life that we are called to. It is the gift that has been given to us in the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just start with it with one practical thing that we can do as we live out this, this, this highest calling together. As we seek to dwell and commune and abide with the Spirit, then I, I just want to give us one practical step. Now, we'll talk about another step next week, uh, and we'll just keep building on this because uh, this is really important. But I'm going to spend a whole, our whole time on this first step because this first step, I would say, depending on your background, your, your church family of origin, uh, or what you've been taught, or what you've heard, that this first one could sound controversial. But I, I want, what I want to, to do is just sort of explain it, pull back the layers, and tell you what I mean by this, and, and basically let Scripture tell you what, 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 it, what, it, what it says about this. And so this, this first step that living out of practical theology is asking the Holy Spirit to baptize and fill you. Living out a practical theology of the Holy Spirit begins with this understanding that the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit is, is there. There's, there's a, a converting, a regenerating work. I'll talk about that in a moment. This supernatural event happens where we are reborn spiritually. And there is this ongoing filling and baptizing of the Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to baptize and fill you. Let me just start first with this word uh, baptize, and especially as it refers to the title that was on the book I referred to you by Tori, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what I'm not saying. Because some people hear the phrase, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and what they conclude is, well, what that means is speaking in tongues. But the baptism is a spirit is when you is when you when you use the spiritual gift of tongues. And I want you to hear me very clearly on this that the baptism of the spirit is not simply speaking in tongues. We believe as a church that all the gifts of the spirit are operative today. That every single gift is is operative today. But the baptism of a spirit is not a demonstration of a gift. The baptism of a spirit is a demonstration of a person. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit in such a way that we reflect who God is. That it is, remember when, when John the Baptist is described as someone who uh, is filled with the Spirit of Elijah. He's got, the Spirit of Elijah is on him. What, what the writer is saying is that John the Baptist is just like Elijah. Uh, and, and by the way, baptisms this weekend, we don't have any 8 o'clock, but 27 baptisms at Sam Lance this weekend. 27 people uh, being baptized. John the Baptist reminded me. I was supposed to tell you that. Um, but, 
But, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just a manifestation of, of one gift that we do believe is, is, a, is a viable gift for today. The baptism of the Spirit is a, is a baptism of a person. You are filled with, with the person. And actually, the word itself, baptism of the Spirit, comes from the Scriptures. John chapter 1. Then John testified. We're talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptizer. John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. Speaking about Jesus. I didn't know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then Luke chapter 3, verse 16. I baptize you with water. Again, this is John the Baptist speaking. I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is much greater than I am. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that... that the baptism of the Spirit is something Jesus does. The ba- that, that phrase, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, comes from the pages of, of Scripture. And so uh, as, we, as we talk about this, I, I want you to know that, that that whole concept is rooted in the Scriptures. And, and also I want you to know up front that, that some have been p- perhaps been taught that uh, that you know, when you become a, a Christ follower, you got all the all the Holy Spirit that, that you needed, and you don't need to ask um, to, to be. You don't need to ask for the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to show you from Scripture uh, explicitly where we are taught to ask for the Holy Spirit. Um, but I want you to think about this in, in a relationship context. Um, you know, when I when I married Trina. Uh, Prior to that day, our, our wedding day, I mean, I, I, I pursued her. Guys, how well would have gone if after our wedding day I stopped pursuing her? Would, I mean, that, that, that would not have gone too well, right? Ladies, you, there was a pursuit in you. You wanted to be pursued. And you, and you wanted to pursue, if, if you have a husband or maybe you're dating someone or, or you have dated someone, the, the idea of relationship is investment in a pursuit Think about this in our relationship with our friendship with God. Conversion is not the end of the pursuit. It's just the beginning. So the, the idea of, of seeking the ongoing filling of a spirit is about the ongoing seeking of a relationship, a friendship with God. D.L. Moody was uh, once asked because he pre-taught on the, the filling of a spirit often. He talked about the desire to, to, to keep on asking to be filled with the spirit. After one of the services in which he preached, a, a, a woman came up to him afterwards and said, Reverend Moody, why do you keep talking about the necessity to be filled with the Spirit? Moody looked at her and said, Madam, because I leak. <laughs> Moody, <laughs> no, no, don't go there. Uh, okay, I know you're going. What Moody was, what, was saying is that it, there's this, this is ongoing need for the empowerment of the Spirit. And, and, and so it, it, it's about friendship. It's about dependence. Friends, <laughs> we are not an independent, self-reliant people. We need God. And so this filling of the Spirit is a continual call to be in relationship and express our dependence on who God is. Now, I say that all as preface 
because we have our own ideas of what the baptism of the Spirit is. We've perhaps been taught that we don't need to be filled with the Spirit. And what I want to show to you is from Scripture. Now, you just heard me talk about that. I'm going to show you from Scriptures. I'm going to show you from the Gospels. I'm going to show you from the Epistles. I'm going to show you multiple fillings that the disciples had in the book of Acts, just so that you get to see from Scripture. Remember, we're coming under the Scriptures. So what, what, let's let, it's great to hear me say it, but I want to show you from the pages of Scripture. And then what I want to read, I want to read some experience of, experiences of, of well-known conservative theologians and preachers who have talked on this, uh, on this particular subject. In fact, I'm going to read to you some from their own biographies and diaries, their own experience. Not that that would be something we have to duplicate in our lives, but so that we could hear, what does this look like? What does this, what's this sound like? So that we might have something sparked within us to pursue this filling and baptism for ourselves. So that, that, that's where I'm going this morning. So let me begin in Luke chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 11, page 1,639 in your pew Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you you'll find one that looks just like this right here. Um, and one, page 1,639, um, you'll find Luke 11. A little context as you're finding your way. The beginning of Luke 11, Jesus is teaching on prayer. He referred to this as the Lord's Prayer. Um, and uh, so Jesus has just taught on prayer because his disciples are, are you know, they feel inadequate when it comes to prayer. So they ask Jesus. Then in verse 5, after Jesus teaches them, this prayer that so many of us memorize and, and, and pray. In verse 5, he says, Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, I, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need. Now listen to this. He will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I want you to hear what Jesus is saying here. He's taught them the Lord's Prayer. Now he's going to teach them more about prayer. He tells a story of, of a man who has a friend who's, who's been journeying, who stops, stops by the house. And it's not really a, a great time to stop, but he wants to put some food in front of them because it's a hospitality culture in the Middle East. But he has no food. And so his honor is at stake in, this, in this, this Eastern culture. And not only his honor, the community's honor is at stake. Because they're not individualists. It's, it, the community's honor is at stake. So the man goes next door to his buddy and says, hey, I've got a friend who stopped by. I need some bread. Give me some bread. And the guy, seemingly shouting from bed, says, 
Leave me alone. Stop bugging me. We're all in bed. The lights are off. The doors are locked. And if you keep bugging me, I'm going to turn the sprinklers on. If the timing's bad, right? There's not fresh bread coming out of the oven. It, it, and yet, the, the guy keeps knocking. He keeps, he keeps asking. And what Jesus clearly says is that the man eventually gets his bread, but not for friendship's sake. In fact, the friendship might have been a little bit you know, harmed in the process, right? He doesn't get the bread for friendship's sake. He gets the bread for being shamelessly persistent. Now, those two words are words that we would not typically associate as good. But Jesus is saying, now, this, there's, a, there's a lesson here. He goes on to say that this guy got bread because he was shamelessly persistent. And then he transitions and said, so ask. Literally, the word means boldly demand. Ask. Be bold. Be shamelessly persistent. Seek. Seek means to desire to possess. Have a strong desire to possess. So I'm asking. I'm boldly demanding. I'm seeking. I have a desire to possess. And knocking is going to the place, or in this case, to the person who can give you what you need. So I'm boldly demanding. I have desire to possess, and I'm going to the place of the person in which I can get what I'm boldly asking for. And then Jesus, at the very end, says, and God, the, look, earthly fathers, you know how to give good gifts. You know, if, if you have a son or a daughter who asks for a fish, you're not going to give them a snake. If they ask for an egg, you're not going to give them a scorpion. How much more will my heavenly Father give to those who ask Give the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is saying is boldly demand, desire to possess, go to the one who can give you the Spirit and be shamelessly persistent in doing it. Jesus is teaching us to ask for the Spirit. Now, now some would say, well, yeah, that was, that was pre-Pentecost. That was before the Holy Spirit came. Well, you know, all of what Jesus taught was before Pentecost. I mean, all of what Jesus taught, primarily most of what Jesus taught, other than the, the 40 days after his, his resurrection, was before the crucifixion and, and Easter. But let's just talk about what, what else it says in the scriptures about being filled. Jesus says, ask, be shamelessly persistent. Hey, picture a bulldog in someone's pant leg. That's what he's telling us to do as we ask for the filling and the baptism of the Spirit. But then Paul, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We'll put, the, put this on the screen up here. Ephesians 5, uh, verse 18. Now, think about this. Paul is not writing to non-Christians. He's writing to believers, followers of Jesus in the church in Ephesus. And he tells them, don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting that what Paul chooses to contrast with the filling with the Spirit is drunkenness with, with wine. And, and let me just say that there is something mysterious and something that there are dissimilarities and there are similarities to, to drunkenness with wine or beer and being filled with the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. That, in fact, Acts chapter 2, what's the conclusion that the, those, those spectators came to when they saw the disciples or those in the upper room coming out and, and they, were, they were filled with the Spirit. Their conclusion was that they were drunk. And Peter, as he gives his sermon, uh, he, his sermon, uh, he, he, he begins by saying, no, it's nine in the morning. We are not drunk. So there is there's this apparent 
contrast that Paul is making here that, that might make some of us uncomfortable, but really what he's going to here is, the, is that don't be drunk with wine, meaning don't be under the influence of, of alcohol to the point where you're out of control. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit so that, so that you are out of control personally, that you are submitting your lordship to who God is, that you are intoxicated with with God by his spirit. That's what he's saying. He, years ago, Trina was, was driving, and she got pulled over. Uh, she was actually, she was headed to our wedding. Uh, she was with a friend of mine there, and, and it was late at night, and, and she was kind of doing this on the road. Now, you know, she'll, she'll tell you she wasn't doing this, but you know, she was doing this because the, the cops pulled her over. All right, she got pulled over the side of the road, and guess what they thought that, that, that she was doing? She, they thought she was drinking and driving. Um, and uh, my friend who was with her said, oh, you, you do not know this woman. Uh, yeah, that, that's not happening. She's just tired. But from his observation, she was, she was, she was out of control personally and under the influence of, of a substance. With the Spirit, we are out of control personally. Our desires are set aside, and God's desires are being fulfilled. He is Lord. We are filled and baptized with the person. Are you track with me here? Because what, this is what Paul is saying, and he's saying it to Christians. He's saying, be filled, which means that, that it, it, this isn't a one-time thing that happens at conversion. This is an ongoing filling, and Paul is saying, pursue this. Be filled. In fact, the original language says, continually be filled. It's like you would drink water every day. That's what Paul is saying to the church. Keep drinking of the Spirit. And even in the book of Acts, we see this. I've shown to you in the Gospels. I'm showing to you in Ephesians. Book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. It's Pentecost Day. It's today. And the Spirit comes with a sound of a rushing wind. He's not a rushing wind. He is not an impersonal force. He is a person. The Spirit comes, and, and the disciples in the upper room are filled with the Spirit. And, and you know what happens on Pentecost. Uh, Peter preaches his go-to sermon. He always preaches his sermon in the book of Acts. God sent his son. You killed him. You're in trouble. That's his three-point message. And he, and he preaches it again in Acts 4. Because he, he and John are brought before the Sanhedrin for uh, healing a lame man. And in, in front of the same Sanhedrin that, that sent Jesus to the cross... Peter and John are being threatened and told to be silent about who Jesus Christ is. And, and Peter and John have this classic response as they're identified as unschooled and ordinary men. Peter and John respond by saying, uh, we're going to obey God rather than men. And there are more threats. Be quiet. You know, don't talk about Jesus. They, they're released from the Sanhedrin. They go to a prayer meeting. And as they're praying, they're praying to the sovereign God. And they're praying for boldness to keep on preaching and teaching about who Christ is. And as, they are pre, uh, as they're praying, the walls in, their, in the room in which they're praying begins to shake. And then it says that they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke with boldness. A couple things I want to mention here. It's a second filling, just two chapters later. Pentecost, they're filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, they're filled with the Spirit. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Spirit and they speak in tongues. Acts chapter 4, they're filled with the Spirit and they speak their own language, but they speak with boldness. So the reason I'm saying that is because I want you to see the multiple fillings just in the book of Acts. And I also want you to know that, that the filling of a spirit is not simply manifested by one gift. Again, we believe all those gifts are viable for today, 
We, we want to see the Spirit move in power. But what we need to understand from the very beginning is that living out a practical theology of the Holy Spirit begins first with us wanting him and desiring for this filling. So, we see it in the Gospels. We see it in the book of Acts, multiple fillings. We see Paul writing to a church saying, be, be content, keep drinking. Keep being filled with the Spirit. Keep desiring him. And I'm gonna go back to, uh, to R.A. Torrey. Torrey, when he began his ministry, if you remember last week, I, I talked to you about um, the fact that when we don't know how to live out the highest calling, what we end up doing is exalting the common calling to be the highest calling. Uh, in fact, this is, the, this is the, the mistake that the, the Pharisees made. John chapter five, verse 39. Uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he, he says that you, you search the scriptures for eternal life and here I am and you don't even recognize me. They, they, had, they had, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life but the scriptures point to me. Friends, eternal life does not come from a book. Eternal life comes from a person. And the scriptures point to the person. And when we don't know how to live out the highest calling, what ends up happening is we exalt the common calling to be our highest calling. Please do not hear me say that I'm demeaning or devaluing scripture. Absolutely not. We need to have, we need to increase our, our understanding of what the scriptures teach, not only so we can live out the common calling, but also so that in our highest calling, we can understand, we have guardrails of what the scriptures teach us so as we're listening, we're listening and keeping step with the spirit. But we cannot exalt the common calling and call it the highest calling. It will lead, it will lead to dryness. It will, it will lead to uh, even legalism. It will lead to policing morality. It will lead to behavior modification, that being the focus, instead of Christ being the focus. So, Tory, Tory, halfway through his ministry, had this realization. Uh, I'll put this quote up by, by R.A. Tory up here on the screen, his own journey. He said, it was a great turning point in my life when after much thought, study, and meditation, I became satisfied that the baptism with the Holy Spirit was an experience for today, for me, and I set myself to obtain it. And then Tori goes on to define what the baptism of the Spirit is. He says, in the first place, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a definite experience of which one may know whether he or she has received it or not. In the second place, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a work of the Holy Spirit distinct from and additional to his regenerating work. That's what I've been trying to tell you today. Conversion is a supernatural event that we're born again but there's an ongoing filling. In the third place, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a work of the Holy Spirit always connected with and primarily for power for service. This is sometimes where you see some of the abuses that come in because it ends up being a self-centered approach. No, the baptism of the Spirit is for the advancement of the kingdom of God in our own hearts and in our cities. That is the baptism of the Spirit. Now, what I want to do is I want to read to you a few people's experiences, people from days gone by and their own experience of the baptism of the Spirit. Again, I read these to you, not that this is, this is what it should look like. I read these to you so that you might be inspired, so there might be some hunger and thirst that's stirred up within you, 
so that you might, you might begin to be shamelessly persistent and ask for the Spirit. And knowing that as you pursue the Spirit that you have a good dad in heaven. You don't have to fear being deceived or being given something that you shouldn't be given because the scriptures clearly teach that he is a good dad and if you ask for a fish, he's gonna give you a fish. Charles Finney, pastor, preacher, revivalist, evangelist. He says, uh, this is in the 1800s, he writes, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. These waves came over me, and over me, and over me, one after the other, until I recollect I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more, yet I had no fear of death. And then D.L. Moody. I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before, that blessed experience, if you should give me all the world. Just two individuals, known theologians, pastors, who sought the Spirit, and had, I would say, rather dramatic experiences with the Spirit. That's not, that's not common to everyone. But I want, I want just to read those to you so you have a sense of God's desire to pour himself into us. And one more quote by D.L. Moody. Moody says, In some sense and to some extent, the Holy Spirit dwells with every believer. But there is another gift, which may be called the gift of the Holy Spirit for service, this gift, it strikes me, is entirely distinct and separate from conversion and assurance. God has a great many children that have no power, and the reason is they have not the gift of the Holy Ghost for service. God doesn't seem to work with them, and I believe it is because they have not sought this gift. Friends, today on this Pentecost weekend, let me tell you, we have a God who longs to fill us, who will fill us, all we need is to ask. So as we begin living the upstairs life in our downstairs world, we begin by being shamelessly persistent, asking for the baptism and the filling of the Spirit. 
to be intoxicated, to be filled, and if you would excuse me even saying, to be inebriated to the point that we are so out of control, our carnal desires so gone, and we're so under control and in step with the Spirit. May it be so in us. Tonight we'll be praying along those lines. That that's something that, that God would do in us. We'll, we'll be repenting of our lack of desire. What would happen if God poured himself out in such strength and power that we were changed? My guess is that our community would be changed because God would do things we would never even imagine. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are present. As I have been speaking, you have, you have spoken. You have spoken your personal words to people in this room. And they've heard you. Now stir up desire within us, Lord. Desire for you. Stir up hunger, O oh God, to be under the influence of the Spirit. And fill us again and again and again. And even as we continue to worship together, Lord, I ask and pray that you would hear our cries. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done to make it possible for us to not be left as orphans. In your name we pray, amen.